ask you now to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Luke chapter number 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19, if you'll follow along. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things? But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Dear Father, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here tonight at Pleasant View Baptist Church. Thank you for Pastor Shiflet and his leadership here. Thank you for the church's desire to be a blessing to missionaries and to have this time in their calendar year where they pause and say, let us focus on what our chief responsibility is for the needs of the lost in the world. Thank you, dear Father, that we have this moment to preach here tonight. Father, I rejoice in this church, and I thank you for everything for which she stands in the way of missions. I pray, God, that you'll bless this church and help it. Father, I thank you for the Paquette family, and I thank you for their years of labor there in Mexico. Father, I pray that you'll reward them richly upon their return, and may they be, may they be able to identify the next place of service and be used mightily there as they have been in the past. Thank you for this dear brother I've met for the first time tonight and his vision for our own country. Father, I pray, God, that you'll use him mightily. Teach us tonight from your word. Speak to our hearts. May we be as sensitive to the moving of your Holy Spirit in the preaching as we were in the singing. Bless you for the music tonight, dear God. We thank you for the song that you gave in the hearts of the choir and the special singing. Help us now, God, to be submissive and yielded to you in this hour of preaching. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The very essence of missions, it's not about the offerings we take. It's not about the, the gestures of hospitality that we issue to the missionaries that come. The very essence of missions is those who have received the gospel of Christ they are to deliver it to those who haven't heard it. That is the essence of missions. 
And the only way that, that we get the gospel delivered to people who have not heard it is when we make up our mind that the gospel will be our priority. What's a priority? Well, it's something you have to do. If you think about it, come here. Yeah. How old are you? Thirteen. How long have you been breathing? How's it working out for you? Good. Anybody ever try to stop you from breathing? Good, you won't be able to say that after tonight. Now, is your, are your parents here? Where are they? Point them out. Sound booth. It's, he's not even paying attention. It's fine. Where's your mama? Wave, mama. I've never killed anyone in an illustration as far as I know, okay? And what's your name? So we know before you go, what's your name? Andrew. Andrew, so what if I started to take my hands just like this? How's that feel? Not good. But I haven't even started to squeeze yet. And, and what if I began to squeeze? What would you do? You'd scream. But I'd be cutting your air off, so the screaming part's not going to work. Would you fight me? Do you know how ridiculous that would be? <laughs> I mean, just the very image of that made me laugh. I mean, it's so good, I almost want to try it. Why would a five-foot-tall, 13-year-old, take on a six-foot-six, 300-none-of-your-business-pound man? Because breathing, so glad you could join us. Have a seat. Just make yourself at home. If you can't handle good preaching at the beginning, you'll not handle it at the end. Why would a five-foot teenager take on a six-foot-six, 300-and-a-lot-of-pounds guy? Be desperation. Because breathing is a priority in his life. I imagine breathing is a priority in all y'all's life. Now, that's, I'm going to give you some grammar lessons here. All y'all is the third person plural of y'all. Just so you know that. All y'all is third person plural. So just a little grammar tonight, just an extra. Preacher said he wasn't sure why he liked my preaching. It's the grammar lessons. All y'all. Did you know that? You're getting it. Now, let's go back to your breathing issues. Andrew, I want to see what a priority is in your life. So as I begin to choke you and stop the air going through your body, I want you to fight for life, okay? Just go sit down. <laughs> it's amazing what we allow to become priorities in our lives. We allow certain things to escalate. And we say, okay, that is important to me. What I have found in life is people do, will do what they want to do. And they will want to do what pleases them the most. And so what we have in our churches is a shifting of priorities. And we've shifted our priorities so much that the lost have become just an add-on to what we do. It is not the priority. 
But there is a fella about whom we read in the text a moment ago who realigned his priorities, but he did it after it was too late. You say, well, what do you mean, too late? It's never too late to change your priorities. If you're in hell, it is. If you're in hell, it's too late to change your priorities. It's done. It's over with. You say, well, I can't learn any lesson from somebody in hell. Oh, yes, you can if you just look. There, are, there, are a, there is a great lesson to learn from Luke chapter 16 about the rich man, how he got his priorities right after it was too late. Note several things with me before I get to the, the actual message I'd like to preach. Just some thoughts along the way. Verse 19. Let's look at the priorities in life that he had. There was a certain rich man. I do not believe this is a parable. Oftentimes when you see a parable, you will not see the words certain. Uh, you will see it was just there was a man, as if to say, or he spoke to them in a parable and it was clear. This says there was a certain. Then it names the next one. He's a certain beggar by name that was Lazarus. Now we note those two things. This, I believe, is not an allegory. This is not just a tale that was told. I believe that this, is a, this text requires a literal interpretation of the Word of God. We only use non-literal when there's language that indicates that it's not a literal interpretation. Okay? This is literal. We note, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. I see three priorities in his life. His finances, his fashion, and his fame. Those were the three things that were noted in his life. He was concerned about how much money he had, with whom he was going to have a party, and how he looked in front of other people. This idea of purple and fine linen. You would see fine linen, but it'd be on the priest. Purple meant you had enough money to have the dye imported from the Far East and brought to the Middle East so you could have your garments in this. It was only for the very, very wealthy. So here is a man who had priorities. And considering his destination, those are normal priorities for those who are lost. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? And how much money am I going to have? But something has happened in modern day Christianity, yea, even in fundamentalism. And it appears to me that, that our churches today have gotten to the place where the rich man heathen priorities are our priorities. We, we watch our membership become consumed with finances. I'm not talking about creating bills. I'm, I'm talking about the idea of simply saying, how much money am I going to have? Let me acquire and amass as much wealth as I can. And all of a sudden, the priority of the Word of God disappears completely. 
The priority of souls disappears completely because I'm trying to make enough money to pay for a fourth boat. Then we get to the priority of his fashion. We realize that, that the world's fashions are influencing modern day Christianity. And it becomes, what am I wearing? How will people perceive me? What kind of people know me? Those are all the priorities of the guy that went to hell. And if I have the priorities of a man that went to hell, what does that say about me as a believer? It means I've got the wrong priorities. Note the next fellow. Look at verse 20. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. So what does that tell me about his finances? He only had what folk gave him. Tells me he couldn't walk. He had to be placed or laid at the gate of the rich man. He had health issues. Bible says he was full of sores. Next verse. His chief desire... Desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. I don't know if it is as this, but I can imagine it this way. The rich man is partying on the upper level of his home. The beggar is at the gate of this rich man. It would be very easy for the rich man to throw scraps or to shake the the linens of the table out to the gate where the fellow was, and all Lazarus, the poor guy, could do is look up hoping somebody would throw something his way that he could get to before the dogs could get to because his greatest companionship in this world were the friends that brought him and the dogs that licked his wounds. What a stark contrast. It almost reminds me of the contrast between our independent Baptist churches and the heathen that walk our streets. We want them cleaned up and in the house of God before we deal with them. It is the Christian's responsibility to get the, catch the fish and let God clean them. It would not do us wrong to go out and find somebody that is a heathen and lost and dirty and rotten and on their way to hell and just reach them with the gospel and bring them to the house of God and let them be exposed to preaching and bring them to Christ. It might remind us of our roots of how we actually grew. 22. As with many who've lived before us, death was certain. Death came to both men. Let's look at their story. 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. What a contrast. Whether Lazarus died at the gate of the rich man or maybe Lazarus's friends stopped by his home to haul him out to the gate of the rich man to beg yet another day, and they arrived and he was dead. Scripture doesn't indicate. 
It just indicates that the last carrying out that Lazarus experienced was not by his friends, but by a band of angels sent from heaven that carried him out for the last time and said, you've been placed by a rich man's gate before, but brother, let me tell you, I'm taking you to another gate, a gate of a man who will not just leave you outside the gate, but put you in the bosom of Abraham. I'm telling you tonight, that fellow Lazarus been carried out like nobody had ever carried anyone out before. There he was, hauled out by a heavenly band. Can you imagine? He said, I've been carried before, but it's never been this good. And I don't know if it was the same day, but the Bible indicates there was a second death. And this death was the death of the rich man. Because of the story, it almost seems like it was in the immediate. It could have been the same day. What a, what a real contrast that would be. Town folk would be speaking. Do you hear Lazarus died? Yeah, but did you hear the rich guy that he used to be by his gate? He died today too? I, I don't know, but that would be quite a story that would be passing through town pretty quickly. But either way, Scripture indicates there was a death and it seems to be in the immediate. But what happened to the rich guy? Wow, what a story. The rich man also died and was buried. No carrying out here. No new gate to go. He's buried. It's kind of that final feeling. Remember one time I was standing by the graveside of a of a lady that had died in the village where I was planning our first church in, uh, in Grenada in the West Indies. And, and I remember I stood by that grave and the, fe- the fellas there in the village had dug the grave out and they were getting ready to put the body in. And I can remember the wailing and the screaming that was going on over the death of this person. And I thought about the verse, we sorrow not as those that have no hope. For the Christian, when the loved one dies, it's just a seed planted in the ground that one day at the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. It's the hope we have. It's the joy that we have. But not this guy. He wakes up in hell. Reminds me of the terrorists on September 11th who thought when they flew the plane into the World Trade Center that they would leave in, a, in this world in an inferno and wake up in paradise. But they left this world in an inferno and woke up in one that was hotter than the first. And hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. The rich man wakes up, and his account is completely different than the account of Lazarus. Lazarus has made it to heaven. 
The text says Abraham's bosom, and without great explanation, we'll refer to it for the sake of, of time tonight as heaven. He made it to heaven. His faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that is the only way anyone has ever been saved, is by faith. And he arrives in heaven by faith. The rich man is in hell. Those who would hear this story who are not saved would say, well, rich man got what he deserved. He is rich. He went to hell. Poor guy got what he deserved. He was poor in life. Heaven. As if our financial status has bearing on whether we go to heaven or hell. Doesn't. I am glad there are wealthy Christians. I am glad there are moderate income Christians. But most of all, I'm glad for believers who tithe. In this situation, I look and I realize the rich man went to hell because he did not believe and Lazarus went to heaven because he did believe. He didn't, the rich man didn't go to hell because of his fame, his finances, or his fashion. And the, the poor man didn't go to heaven because of his lack of finances, his health condition, nor his inability to walk on his own. They each got there by faith. It's the only way any of us will get there. But it's in the communication between the rich man and Abraham that I begin to discover what now is a priority to the rich man. Heretofore, it has been his fame, his fashion, his finances. But what's on his heart now? What's changed? As an umbrella to everything that I'm going to say, because I'd like to enter the part where I'd like to preach to you tonight this message, I think it's quite interesting that we do not see direct communication between the occupant of hell and the former occupant at the rich man's gate. All of that communication is directed via Abraham. The rich, the, the Lazarus is protected in this matter of communication. And Abraham is the spokesman for heaven whose bosom in, in, is, is where Lazarus is resting. That confident place of comfort that we have as a believer that is promised to us. And in that place, the rich man looks and he sees him. And all of a sudden, I see a, 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 a range of communication that reveals the rich man's priorities. Let me show you, if I made tonight, four simple things that were the priority, that became the priorities of the rich man. Number one, look in verse 22 with me tonight. If you would. And for the record, on my way home last night, flying home from service, my watch broke. I was not able to get it fixed today. I will do the best I can to finish. I will get you home before the Waffle House closes. And it came to pass that the beggar died was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried. The very first priority I see in the rich man's life is this. He discovered the priority of a soul. Every soul had a destination. And he discovered that the lack of making a decision in his life resulted in the destination of hell. Every man has a soul. Every person with whom you've come in contact from the moment that you recognize who you were in Christ until the moment you die, and every person before you were cognizant in that moment has a soul. But it wasn't on the rich man's mind. Parties, pleasure, food, fashion, fame, Lifting it up. Making a game out of pitching the crumbs off to Lazarus. See if we can hit him with a chicken bone. Let's throw a piece of bread this way and see who gets it first. Lazarus or the dogs. And now in hell, he dies. He wakes up in torments. And he looks up. And he realized there is life after death. I had a soul. Whoa. Who's that? No way. He's that old beggar. He doesn't look like he's suffering at all. Looks like he's comforted. Man, it is, it is uncomfortable. This is awful. How did he get there? Why did I end up here? We live without the priority of a soul. People are an inconvenience to us. People get in our way of what we want to do. How often we've been guilty in saying, if it wasn't for the people in this world, it'd be a great place. And yet they are souls for whom Christ died. While they may be a minor inconvenience to your life, they will go somewhere. He realized that every man has a soul. He realized in hell that every man has a destination. He realized in hell that every man has a decision to make. He realized in hell that every man needs to hear the message that, that declares where someone will go when they die. Number one, the priority of a rich man in hell was he discovered the priority of a man's soul. I could just stop right here. Because we do not live with a soul awareness. We're aware of work, school, and church. And for some people, it's that order. <laughs> Hello. 
I'm letting it in here like the preachers. I feel it. There must be some affliction up here. You want to... We, we, we live with that order of priority in our lives. The guy gets to hell. And he isn't saying, hey, let's have a party. Bring the food out. Let's play. Where are my buddies? One thing's on his mind. I didn't know. I didn't heed. I had a soul. And I'm here. Andrew, 13 years old, sat on the front row tonight. Never thought he'd come to church and have some big preacher pick on him. But I believe the young man would have fought me to breathe. But I don't see that priority in people's lives, their souls. Preacher, let me go out. Show me another street to get to. Give me somewhere to go. I know there's more souls in this county. No, here's what we do. We're very, very refined now. The souls of men we outsource to the church staff. The souls outside of this community we outsource to our missionaries. And as long as we finance that, we feel okay. Look around this room tonight. Just just look. See who's here. Now let me ask you a question. How many people are in this room tonight because you personally led them to the Lord, walked them down the aisle, saw them baptized, discipled them in the Word, and taught them to go out and do the same? How many people are in this room because you did that? Some of you should be looking around saying, well, yeah, yeah, she's not here tonight, but she normally is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's usually here. I wonder, I might have to call him. But he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been here about a year and a half, two years now. There's probably about ten people I, I... Surely that's where you, what you're doing, right? I mean, that's your list. You've got your list. You're counting them up. You're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Or are you in the pathetic state right now of saying, dear God, let him get off this point because I cannot stand the pressure that I feel right now. And yet you'll go home and you'll whine and you're belly aching about why isn't the church growing Why don't we see people walking the aisle when that task is assigned to you? It is a clear indication that there is no longer a priority of a soul in your life. I I made my decision. Let them get theirs on their own. I'm in. Wow. You're selfish. I bet you're concerned about what you wear to church tomorrow night. How well you look. I want to get up in front of people to say, will they notice my fashion? Hey, 
truth is, in hell, one thing mattered to the rich guy. The soul of man. Number two. I'm only moving on to number two because I think you're done with point one. Look at 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. It's interesting to me that he knew who Abraham was. It wasn't just the man he knew in his own life. He knew someone that preceded him in death. And yet he was cognizant of who he was. And even addresses him as such. Father, a term of respect and endearment. Father Abraham. Not a Catholic priest kind of thing, but just a term of endearment. The second thing I notice is this. The first I notice is he discovered the priority of a soul in 22, but in 23 he discovered the priority of salvation because the one thing that distinguished him and Lazarus was the decision that Lazarus made for Christ. And he realized that the absent, that decision of salvation resulted in consequences that we were eternal and permanent. Note. He realized the saved, verse 23. The saved never have the torment of sight. Note 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth. It's, it's not as if hell is not bad enough that it is a place of fire. It is a place of burning. It is a place of pain. It is a place of torment. But salvation results in the fact that you will never have the torment of sight because of salvation. But yet the rich man stood in hell or sat in hell and looked up, lifted up his eyes, and he was able to see. It was as if he could not escape. If he closed his eyes, he was on fire. If he opened his eyes, he was on fire, and he could see others not in pain. Say, well, how did I get here? He discovered the priority of salvation. The saved never have the torment of sight. 2024. 20, he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He realized that salvation meant the saved would never have the torment of no mercy. There's no reprieve. There's no new politician who will be elected in four years who will parole you. Maybe offer you the hell stimulus plan. You're done. You're in hell, you're done. The only way that you can change that is realize what the rich man realized. The priority of salvation is no torments. When I accept Christ as my personal Savior, I will not die and go to hell. Saved, never have the torment of thirst. Look at 24. Send Lazarus. Maybe only because it was the guy he knew personally, but he still had a little bit of an arrogant spirit. Let him be my errand boy. 
And all he wanted was one drop. If I could get one drop, that'll cool my tongue. You ever been thirsty? Hell upgrades what thirst is. And we sit smugly and say, yeah, boy, send those pocket people. Get them down there to Mexico. Let them reach those poor heathen for Christ. Thank God for what they're doing. Now, when do I get to go to Ryan's? We don't have the priority of salvation on our mind. It's not, it's not something we have to fight for. If we don't get to go soul winning or we do get to go soul winning, it doesn't matter. But you try to take breath from that little fella right there and he'll fight a 300 pound, well, 300 and a lot of pound, man. Because it's a priority. Rich man discovered the priority of salvation. 25. This is, I think this absolutely bugs me the most about hell. 25. Abraham said, son, what's that next word? Remember. The torment of memory. Salvation means there is no torment of memory. The lack of salvation means there is the torment of memory. Can you think about this? All these times that the rich man could look, I had the comforts of life and I ignored the priority of God. Sounds like most believers in our independent Baptist churches. The comforts of life and ignoring the priorities of God. Salvation must become a priority to us. 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. You're stuck. There is separation. The torment of separation. How do I avoid that, preacher? Salvation. How do I help others avoid it? I bring the message of salvation to them. I don't know if you've ever come to this place, but recently I have. How many people are you really willing to allow to go to hell that know you on a first-name basis? I mean, how many people are in hell tonight that knew you on a first-name basis? How many more people that you know right now that if they died before this service ended and you could get to the house and at least get them another presentation of the gospel, they would tie and go to hell and say, I knew John. Wish John would have told me. John should have told me this. John could have told me. How many people are you really willing to allow to be there? What's your name? Patrick. How many people are you willing to allow go to hell that know you on a first-name basis, Patrick? I mean, how many? You tell me right now. None. Are you sure? Then what are you doing to change that behavior in your life right now? Salvation has to become a priority in your life. 
How many people are in this church because you led them to Christ? How many people are in this church because you saw them baptized and discipled in the Word of God? How many are in here tonight because of you? So I don't like this at all. I see a few empty chairs here tonight. They don't have to be, but they are. Say, well, we got several who are sick and several who are... Don't talk to me about that. I'm tired of trying to stir up the deadbeats. Well, we just got to nurse them along. Mail them a bottle. They'll figure it out. Go find some heathen. I mean... Fill this place up with some dirt bags. Mm, maybe help match some of the ones. Never mind. Get some heathen in here. A few drunks in here. A few wife beaters. A few harlots. Get them in here and let's reach them with the gospel. Problem is, we've stopped affiliating with sinners. Is our problem. Now, now here's the thing. We would drop Brother Paquette in a heartbeat if he quit planning churches and winning people to Christ. We would. That sorry outfit he started out good. I think he went bad when he started calling his wife out in church, to be honest with you. <laughs> now he's down there and he's not winning souls to Christ. Drop his support. I'd say you had a good argument. But I just want to know something. Who drops you? when you don't do it. I mean, you're expecting more out of your missionaries than you are out of yourself? What an unbelievable statement of hypocrisy. Well, bless God, we, we support them. He's going because God called him. You just get to give him money. He's going to do it whether you send him a nickel or not. But I just want to know, when do we get to drop you? Say, well, we, how many people are in this church because you led them to the Lord, sir? How many people are here because you saw them baptized, discipled them in the Word of God, and taught them to do the same? Ah, uh, leave me alone, preacher. Drop pocket. He ain't doing the job. Leave me be. I just want to know who drops you. See, I like the shiny, happy preacher. Sometimes the shiny, happy preacher doesn't show up. As long as God's word is preached. We need to discover the priorities that the rich man discovered. He discovered the priority of a soul. He discovered the priority of salvation. Number three. <clears throat> Conversation continues. He raises this argument. He needs Lazarus to get out of heaven to get back to earth to tell some family about the Lord. And Abraham declines his, in fact, denies the request. And says there's something that they already have. And I look at this and I realize in 29, 
Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What did he discover? Discovered the priority of a soul, the priority of salvation, number three. He discovered the priority of Scripture. The only thing that will save a man's soul is the Word of God. Brother Puckett, if, if I could give you a case full, uh, uh, sorry, a container full, of, what, are we in Greenville County? Is that where we are? Greenville County? If I could give you a container load of the yellow pages from Greenville County to take with you down to uh, Aguas Calientes, or I could give you a suitcase full of the Bible in Spanish, what would you pick? Why? I mean, it's paper and it's ink. It's bound up. I mean, the yellow pages can be helpful sometimes. I'm going to tell you, The yellow pages has never saved a man's soul. But there's something. When you walk down a street and you find yourself a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner, and such were some of you, who needs to be washed in the Word of God. And you get down there and you find out he's just an old drunk, a bum, a wife beater, a slacker. And you take the Word of God and you crack it open. I don't care what language it's in. It will clean a man's soul. And you apply the Word of God to this fellow's life and the Holy Spirit of God does a work. He goes home and his wife finds out and they both get saved. The drunk on the street the rich in their palaces, the poor and unlearned, the men of degree, they all have a soul in need of salvation. They all have to come by Calvary. But I'm going to tell you, there is something amazing about the moment when you say, I am so glad God saves Old sinners, I'm thrilled and amazed how he sets them free. But the biggest surprise in redeeming old sinners is that he would save an old sinner like me. We get smug once we get in and forget the old drunks who need the scripture. Oh, oh, the rich man, he had a device and a scheme for everything. All right, you go ahead and you get somebody from heaven, get Lazarus and get him to my family member. And Moses's, or Abraham's reply was they have Moses and the prophets. What does that mean? Everything we understand, best of my knowledge, between Genesis and, and Malachi, he said, was enough to redeem 
the family members that existed on earth. There's enough right there. And, and yet, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, kids, do you have your Bible? Yeah, yeah, Dad, I left it on the back shelf of the window in the car on Sunday. Huh? This is the blessed Word of God. It is what will save an old sinner. It'll take a harlot and cleaner. It'll take a drunk and sober him. It'll take a wife beater and calm his heart. It will change a heart. It'll change a home. It'll change the outlook of a family. And it's got to be our priority. Every church ought to be involved in publishing the scripture, helping publish it, and promoting it. I, will, I want to get off this point, but I want to say one more thing. There are many in English who are fighting the battle for the Bible. Okay? I have no problem. I know I have God's Word. No question. I don't need three new letters. I'm happy with the first three I got. You understand what I mean? You're intelligent and understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to push a button and say, King James this. I'm, I, I got the three letters I got, K, KJV, I'm happy with those. I don't need any new rearrangement of those letters. E, S, V, N, I, V, N, A, S. I don't need any more letters. I have God's word in English. I am confident it's God's word because God promised to preserve it. And preacher, if you, after I say this, and you say, John, just don't come back tomorrow night, I'll understand. I will. There'll be no hard feelings. You will remain my friend for life. But I'm going to say this. Some of you would go to blows over the King James and you never read it. You'd split a church. You'd leave a church. You'd fight with somebody. I'm going to tell you, the Word of God is worth standing over. But if, if you're not going to read it and live it, Aren't you a big hypocrite? Or a little one? Skinny people can laugh. I don't like when skinny people laugh at fat people. You're okay. You're skinny too. Don't laugh. But it's true. I love the Word of God. It is God's word. I can open any page in my King James Bible and know it is God's word. I don't have to second guess it. I don't have to wonder what it really means. I don't have to go read in another language. I got it. You try to change it on me, you'll be by yourself. I'm sticking with the old one. But... Don't you feel just a little stupid to fight that battle and it's not even a priority and you don't even read it? I don't know how many times I've been to Walmart. I hate going to Walmart, but there are times you just have to go. And I'll go to Walmart and I'll see those Bibles lined up on the back shelf of the windows of the cars. I thought, surely they just came from church on a Tuesday afternoon. 
That's what it was, yeah. They're, they're geared up, ready for Wednesday. That's what it is. And that faded spot, I'm sure it's because of good use. But you walk into church Sunday morning and you tell them we're going to change the King James Bible into something else. Oh, I can't believe he said that. He's going to change the Bible. I'm sorry, but you are a really bad hypocrite. You'll fight for the battle, but you won't let, you, you won't let it change you? I'd say read it. Then you'll know why you're fighting for it. And preacher, if I've overstepped my boundaries as your friend, I, I would not pastor your church for anything. That's your job. But I believe sincerely that the rich man in hell said, I know what's important. Moses said, it's the book. It'll change them. It'll save them. And if they don't believe this, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Number four. Note to self, tomorrow night bring your sermon outline down to the communion table so you don't have to keep making so many trips. You're skinny too, don't laugh. Fat people have feelings too. No, you're not. Just be honest. 27. He discovered the priority of a soul. He discovered the priority of salvation. Number three, he discovered the priority of Scripture. But lastly, I'd like to return to the very motivation that prompted the point about Scripture and go back to this one thought. I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send. Uh, There has not been any behavior pattern in the rich man's life before this moment recorded in Scripture that he even cared about his family. No less that he wanted someone who would go on his behalf to tell those that he knew about Jesus. He said, send him to my father's house. Verse 28 is really where I'd like to begin to preach tonight and say this to you. He said, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. Lastly, I'd like to give you this. He discovered the priority of sending. The priority of a soul, the priority of salvation, the priority of Scripture, and lastly, he, the priority of sending. He wanted a messenger to tell his family. He wanted a messenger to tell of the fire. He wanted the messenger who would tell of the future. He wanted a messenger who would say, tell them about my failure. Send somebody. Yet, in our churches, we'll nickel and dime the pastor to death about wanting to take on another missionary. But if it was your kinfolk in whatever little holler or village that that missionary was going to, you would break the bank to get that somebody there. And this man said, 
send somebody. Let me ask you a question tonight. Who in here is involved in commercial or retail sales? Anybody? Have any salespeople? Ma'am, what are you what are you selling? Avon products. So you're all the time looking for ugly women who need work. What are you selling? Avon. Are you a competitor? No. You're you're under her. She's so unworthy. I'm we're what do you sell, sir? You sell paper trees? Conveyor belts, okay. Say, what do you sell to a paper mill? Well, I got it now. Ma'am, help me remember your name. Leah? Lydia. Miss Lydia? I know I was poking fun about the uh, there's some ugly men who need some help too, I understand. And that's not really how you find your clients, I understand that. I just was poking a little fun there. Um, where is your business without new customers? Destined for failure. And, and you're Michelle. And where's your business without new customers? Same. About you, sir, help me remember your name. How do you spell that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> PJ, you're selling uh, conveyor belts. I'm going to tell you, that'd have to be some briefcase now, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm going to take you and show you this conveyor. But where are you without new clients? without prospects. You're nowhere. I mean, you said it right, ma'am. Destined for failure. How do you get your prospects, PJ? Word of mouth. The paper mill people go to the same paper stuff and say, hey, PJ, he's got some of the best conveyor belts you've ever seen. Wait till he hauls that briefcase in here. You've, you've never seen such. How do you get your prospects? Advertising. Promote word of mouth as well. Do you have prospects that you're thinking about now? I mean, folks that you're thinking, I really need to get her, not because she needs help, but, she, but your products could enhance her life and make things look better. I'm working my way through this. I really am. <laughs> Yeah, I'm waiting for the help, preacher. <laughs> and so you take your catalog and you meekly go up to that person and say, you came late to my preaching, you're dead to me. And you go up and say, man, I don't know if you've tried Avon lately, but I want you to have this. Or so-and-so said, oh, that'd be worse. So-and-so said you need it. Amy, help me out. Amy sells Avon too. But... Without prospects, you're not going to make it. You can't rely on the same ugly people all the way along. You've got to have new ugly people. You can't just rely on the same ones. You've got to have new business. I mean, word of mouth, somebody says, hey, PJ, there's a guy over here. He's a buddy of mine. He's got this mill, and, and he needs a conveyor belt. And so what do you do? You make note of that. What do you do? 
you make note of that. I'm getting somewhere, believe it or not. I know it's 9 o'clock and my ADD medication is worn off, but I'm going to focus here in a minute. There is an absence of prospects in our churches. It's like, it's like the rich man said, I've got five people on my heart right now who need this. I've got five right now. I can give you their names. It's, I've got to get them the message. Don't come to hell. Don't come to hell. Don't come to hell. I know their names. Somebody get to them. Where's your card? Where's your paper? Where's your pen? Who's your five? You ought to write them down. These are the five about whom I'm praying. These are the five I want to see saved. These are the five that God has laid on my heart. Where's your prospect list? Miss Miss Lydia, without prospects, you're destined to failure. You told me that. I couldn't have asked you to craft the sentence any better. And this church and its soul-winning efforts are destined for failure without believers with a prospect list. Who is on your card? Where's the lead list for you? Where are the heathen? Show me your list. Give me your five. I don't have one. And that's why earlier when I asked you to count how many people that you've led to the Lord, brought to church, saw them baptized, discipled them in the word of God, and taught them to go out and do the same. That's why your number was zero. There's a direct relationship between zero leads and zero conversions. Say, now, preacher, you got to understand, this is missions conference. This is where we decide to give a bunch of money and send it out to those people who will go out there and evangelize for us. The greatest thing that could ever happen to the missions outreach of this church is for its membership to be consumed with a passion for the lost of Greenville County. And then, when families like the Paquettes or Brother Elam, Elam, men like Brother Elam, will say, I'll go on your behalf to this area. Will you help me? And you'll say, there's about ten less streets we'll have to knock. Go! Please go! But why, why should we expect more out of our missionaries? than we're doing ourselves. Hmm. Would you stand with me? There's something soft on the piano to play, if you would. Believers, you just get here and say, God, give me the priorities the rich man had in hell. May I have the priority of souls. May I have the priority of salvation. May I have the priority of getting the scripture in their hands. May I have the priority of sending somebody to tell. Give me 
the right priorities. Heads bowed and eyes closed.